0: Welcome food enthusiasts to this episode of the Future Foodcast, where we talk to industry experts about innovation, trends, technology, marketing, anything going on in the food space. And today I'm really excited to have with us uh, Adriano Torres. He is working on 20 years with one of the most iconic brands on the planet the coca-cola company and he is now working in global marketing as a senior director welcome to our podcast Adriano
1: thank you Pen. pleasure to be here thanks for yeah. the invitation
0: we have so many things to talk about this afternoon but I think the first thing that we'd like to do is kind of lay the groundwork you've had quite a career with coca-cola and you didn't start where you are can you tell us a little bit about your trajectory of your career?
1: Yeah, of course. So uh, maybe as you can hear in my accent, I'm Brazilian. So I started my career in Coca-Cola back in Brazil, uh, roughly 20 years ago. Um, I started working in the communications team of Coca-Cola. Before Coca-Cola, I was working at advertising agents. And at some point, Coca-Cola invited me to be part of the communications team. Um, That's where I started, uh, taking care of part of the portfolio, doing the connections, assets, uh, media plans. Uh, And then at some point, like uh, I decided to move to work in marketing, like in the real brand strategy, marketing strategy uh, part of the business. And then I moved to this part of the business, taking care of some local brands. Uh, Coca-Cola has in Brazil. Uh, Maybe some of you have tried the Guaraná flavor which is a Brazilian fruit. There's a large brand in Brazil in the Coca-Cola portfolio that sells a Guarana flavor and also took care of other regional brands. And uh, after that, I moved to the other part of the business to take care of the hydration portfolio in Brazil, like uh, mineral water, flavor water, enhanced water, Powerade, Um, that was the the brand to have sports drinks in Brazil. Uh, and then after some point, at a certain point, I moved to take care of the Coca-Cola trademark, which is the flagship brand, uh, still in Brazil. Uh, I spent a few years taking care of this beautiful, amazing brand uh, in Brazil. And then back in 2013, I moved to Japan uh, to, take, to continue to take care of Coca-Cola trademark, but this time living in Japan, which was a great experience um, uh, working in Japan and living the Japanese culture, uh, and work in the Japanese environment, which is pretty challenging, pretty dynamic, pretty exciting. Uh, and then since 2016, I'm based in Atlanta in the Coca-Cola headquarters, where I'm in charge of the dairy and plant-based beverages portfolio. Like uh, I know that maybe a lot of people will, what? Dairy and plant-based beverages? So that's where I do now and for the last six years, uh, working with different countries to try to develop that part of the business uh, for, for the Coca-Cola company.
0: That's a really exciting career so far. I bet it was very interesting being in Japan with a Brazilian accent. You didn't speak Japanese. You spoke English, I'm assuming. Speak yeah,
1: Japanese. exactly. It was pretty nice because outside the office, of course, I had to deal with customers and then I was relying on translators many times to speak in the Japanese language. So it was kind of an interesting experience. Have meetings and sometimes workshop sessions, having like the translation and speaking English, getting the answer in Japanese and then the translator. So it was a pretty interesting uh, experience, but also not only for the language, but even for the culture, because it's funny when you have like the social cultural maps where they try to understand where each country or culture sits in terms of behaviors and values, etc. Brazil and Japan are in the opposite side. So not only in the, in the map, <laughs> they are in the opposite side of the globe, but even like in the way we behave and way we see life, the Brazilian, the Japanese culture and the opposite. So from that angle, was a pretty interesting experience to be there, to learn a lot from Japan, uh, from that amazing culture they have and for the amazing way of living they have there.
0: Yeah, because in your position now, you really are thinking globally. You are having to figure out what, how different populations of people, how to, how to market your product and how to deliver that. What? Tell us a little bit about what you do on a daily basis because you have broad responsibility.
1: Yeah, actually, the moving from Brazil to Japan was a great first step for this position because it taught me how to deal with the differences and how to see the opportunities from a different angle. And now uh, working in a, in a global position, of course, I have to engage and having discussions and work together many different countries around the world, from Japan, Brazil, Europe, Africa, uh, whole Asia, North America. So it's pretty interesting. Uh, I think the two main things I have in this position that are kind of connected with your question. One, it's about it's amazing uh, when you have someone that's not part of your daily life, your daily culture, the same kind of a culture you have, and you have a dialogue with that person because it's kind of a lot of insights come up from the conversation. Because of course, when you are living where I am now, in the U.S., you have like a you have to start to develop a particular way of seeing things the products and the marketing, etc. So when someone from outside come comes and and start to talk to you you start to realize so many things that you haven't seen the daily kind of a routine thing that I think that's a very helpful, very insightful conversations I have all the time with my colleagues around the world. Uh, and especially when, when it comes to develop a new part of the portfolio, new brands, new categories, like dairy and plant-based brands, uh, that's very important to see things different, to not like stick to what whatever is the reality at the moment. And the second thing uh, besides that, it's the opportunity to really kind of uh, travel to, and, and and have like a, for a, at least for a short period, kind of a, trying to recreate the experience of consumers in different parts of the world. And again, in that process, work together with the local teams and flag opportunities and flag stuff that, again, it's very difficult to see when you are kind of finding that routine, living that an everyday basis, because you start to get like a little bit blind to stuff that for a, with a further eyes, it becomes like a, something amazing or extraordinary.
0: Right. And you are, you're working in a super competitive space. So as you think about expanding, you talked about the local teams and, and flagging, you know, ha- approaches you might want to take. How do you stay ahead of your competition? I mean, how do you, how do you try to do that? That's kind
1: of a part of the power of a network organization, right? And the benefit of sitting in a global chair, because of course, most of the action, the initiatives are driven by the countries at the market, the teams that are kind of spread around the world. And my main responsibility here is to want to develop the category, work together with the teams and make sure that we are heading to the right direction all together. But at the same time, I have to work as advisor and see the opportunities, the strategies. And in that sense, because I'm not in the forefront, I have the time to get the results, to get the information from from the different countries, the ability to compare. Uh, kind of what's happening in one part of the world with a different country and try to see the synergies, the opportunities, uh, what one country is doing very well versus other country. So by doing like that assessment, that combination, that helps me to kind of uh, really understand What we should do in order to stay ahead of the competition. But besides that, I think that the two things I I always tell people that it's very important to stay ahead of the competition. One, of course, it's to keep a fit on the ground. Of course, now with the pandemics, the travels, etc., our mobility is a little bit restricted. But the fact that we engage with consumers, we talk to customers and consumers in a kind of a regular basis and try to get the right insights, the right conversations. That's something also that helps a lot. And again, this fact that I'm here uh, in a global position, I have that vent of getting this data, this information from the different parts of the world when not I'm not there myself. That's very important. And the second point is that leveraging kind of a digital, like uh, so many data points and information now that we are able to collect and process and trying to analyze. Of course, all the competitors, most of them, at, at least they have like a, the, the same access and maybe the same structure, but perhaps in terms of capillarity, I think it's a pretty unique situation we have in the Coca-Cola company, like the number of countries and the amount of people working in each country. I think it's pretty unique for
0: us yeah one of the advantages of being with such a large company so i heard three things really i think number one is you're just taking advantage of the data points that are out there that are being collected you can buy them some of them you i'm sure get on your own but those analytics that are out there about consumers and their behavior and then the second thing is the advantage you have with those local people that are there in those countries but the third thing at which you started with with was feet on the ground. And when we spoke earlier, you, you talked about going and sitting at your local grocery store. Why don't you tell our audience about that?
1: Yeah, that, 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 that's something that we learned, like uh, I learned many years ago when I was working my first assignment in Coca-Cola in Brazil. One of our local bottlers, we're discussing some project, and he told me that you need to listen to consumers, you need to get in touch with them. And then I was like a young and naive and I told him, yeah, like let me check the consumer report and the data we collected. I said, no, 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 no. You have to go to the store. Just sit there and watch, observe, and talk to people. Like they will talk to you, and then you ask questions because that's a great way of keeping the pulse. Like uh, understand what's happening. And since then, like many years ago, I always do this. Anytime I have uh, something that I want to get some ideas or insights, could be like a new product from competition or, or a new launch from us that just hit the market, or maybe I'm writing a paper about something that I want. To to clarify, get some fresh insights. I go to the grocery store, the convenience store. I want to see consumers in action, shoppers in action. And then we stay there. I tell you like 30 minutes, just sitting there, like staying there watching the the shelf and people buying. And then when you see like something different, something that caught your attention, you go and you politely. (laughs) talk to the person like and ask people people always help like they always answer your questions they always talk to you you tell them that what you're doing etc and it's great like it's great to to get this fresh insight that of course later you can validate it to the proper process to collect more data but it's always helpful to have like this snippets of the everyday reality with you so we don't lose touch with the, the what's really happening in the market.
0: I, I think that's a really important part, a point about just staying connected with your customer and, and with the brand they're buying. You have so many brands and the brands you're in charge of right now have very special characteristics. Once you gather information, what do you do with that?
1: That depends on the angle you apply, because there's so many things you can tweak and improve in your product. Sometimes it's just like a question you have on the taste. Maybe you are skeptical about what you're not going to a certain turnover or speed in the market, and then you start to try the product again, and then you go outside and taste competition and talk to R&D, talk to expert. And then by talking to people, you see that there's a tweak on taste that you can plan for an adjustment. Maybe sometimes it's just like a shelf placement, the way you're presented in, in the store, and something's wrong with that and then you can tweak that and cross correct and talk to the people in commercial the customer and see how can you fix that point sometimes uh i remember one case where we're discussing about uh the design of a brand people are not differentiating the different flavors and the different ingredients because the visual identity was not like uh Kind of a communicating properly and then we decide okay let's go let's go to the store and take a look and then we spent so many times asking to people and, and you see like uh, that's something that people are complaining and uh, some like uh, social media or kind of a consumer report then you see that really happening in front of you and then you ask like uh, some colleagues to do the same in their cities or countries etc and then you start to validate that so it's a very quick cheap, agile way of validating some insights and problems and take some action. And and of course, the direction is always to progress. But sometimes you discover something that it makes you think about, okay, maybe you need to pull pull this brand out of the market, maybe you need to phase out the brand and replace for something else. So that's even major decisions involved in the process.
0: Those have got to be hard decisions to make, because of the investment that goes in on the front end, and then you're trying to figure out how, how you wanna move, do you wanna evolve or do you want to take that off the market or, or do something really different? How do you go about communicating with your consumer? You talked about you know, maybe the packaging wasn't communicating the nutritional value enough, but how, how do you do that? How do you educate the consumer, especially with some of the brands that you're currently working on?
1: Yeah, that's a learning process and something very interesting from nutrition because uh, when it comes to those categories, people are very interested in trying to understand what are the ingredients, uh, what are the actual nutritional benefits they can get out of the product. Uh, They pay attention to shelf life uh, or kind of uh, allergens, like because at the end of the day, they're in plant, because at the end of the day, they're in plant. Connects a, a lot with like a, your kind of a, the well-being of your family, of yourself, etc. So we want to make sure that whatever you're purchasing, if you, especially if it's a if it's a new brand you're trying, it brings like the things you, you really want. So in that in that sense, we are learning a lot, of talk to consumers and really get it right about the decision tree they follow when when they make a decision because dairy and plant are such a beautiful categories because they, if you take a dairy milk, for instance, so many different benefits you can extract from the dairy milk it's about like uh, the calcium it's about the protein it's about like uh, some of the good fats it's about uh, the combo of uh, uh, the whole thing together that can be a perfect breakfast solution so of course you cannot write everything and put everything in the front of the label and and ask people to read you need to choose like a one maybe two attributes that are the most important and in that sense uh, what we do a lot is the kind of uh, understand the consumer decision tree and see what are the commonalities and what are the one or top two items or benefits they're looking for, and then make sure that it's kind of a very clear communicated in the label. And the second thing is about differentiation across the portfolio, because sometimes you have like a one brand that has multiple flavors or have like a multiple ingredients, and there are some differences between the versions. So that's another point that you need to make sure that you're helping people to navigate across your portfolio. So they are making the right decision. Okay, I want this product with this specific flavor profile, so they can easily find that in a shelf, or even when they are in a digital environment, when they're Googling, searching they can we have the right connections with the right word so they can find the product we are promoting.
0: Interesting because I think of Coca-Cola as a, a very broad brand when you think about the Coca-Cola company, but really so you really do segment your messaging. Uh,
1: yeah, we need to like, it depends on the category, right? Like each category will have like a specific challenge. Like uh, if you are working with Coca-Cola, Trademark, uh, that's a specific challenge because benefits, the way people relate with the brand, even the presence of that product and that brand in the, in the people's life is different. When when it goes for the other end of the, the portfolio, like uh, my categories or maybe teas or coffee or other categories, it's again, different environment because the brands has a different size, they have a different role in people's life. So we need to adjust all these uh, elements so we can have like the proper marketing mix. In their plant, we're talking about like the nutrition decisions that are related to kind of a well-being or the way you're planning to spend the day. Uh, it's more the breakfast occasion. So the, that those set of values they need to be kind of uh, properly communicated in the label, in the packaging, but also in the way we communicate, in the way we build the brand, so people can we, we can hit like uh, the right buttons in people's mind about when they when they're making decisions about those specific categories
0: well and i think i'm a great example because i was looking for a different milk product and i saw the fair life there i was with my husband he said oh that's a coca-cola product and i there's already something if if you're familiar with coca-cola my husband's born and raised here in atlanta and i've been here a really long time and you just know certain things like there's a reputation that your global brand has that you can take advantage of, or at least that's how it impacts me when you're introducing something that might be newer. By the way, congratulations on Fairlife being the next billion dollar brand. I saw the the notice about that in the article. That's fabulous. That's one of your brands. I know that has to be exciting for you and your team.
1: Yeah, it's exciting. And especially uh, congratulations to the Fairlife team based in Chicago, who is like uh, in charge of the brand, like uh, directly doing the everyday Mm uh um developing everyday solutions for the brand so congratulations to the amazing team based in chicago so they reach like a important milestone for any brand that has the ambition to become like a big brand which is the 1 billion dollar retail value it depends on 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 the consumer or the region or even the customer it 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 has different impact so uh of course when when you talk about the customer for instance coca-cola has like a a broader set of beverage to serve them, to help them to increase their sales, the traffic, etc. That's amazing and, and helps because they know us as a supplier and they know all the all the positives uh, about us as, as to providing the product, the high quality, etc., the support for the brands. Uh, for some consumers, sometimes it's a, a reassurance that, OK, this is coming from Coca-Cola, hence it's a high quality product, has all the steps checked about the safety, about the quality, about the, if you have any problems, they will take care. So that's kind of a, helps a lot when people have this this awareness. And sometimes you have people like you, like a surprise, like they see, oh, and they're possibly surprised because they see like the extension of the portfolio. And sometimes they connect all, oh, this is the same mother company that's producing my favorite beverage in sparkling beverages or teas or water, etc. Exactly,
0: Exactly. It's, it's just broadened over the years, but those of us who were, drinking coca-cola when we were a lot younger the fact that how many things you've expanded into to your point about the consumer education even a raving fan of the brand of the global brand doesn't always know what all the different product lines are and you globally focus on different product lines in different countries as well like you were saying based on what the consumers there, what their values are, and what they're looking for. When you try to expand into a country, how do you make those decisions? What are you looking at when you decide what products you're going to expand in what countries?
1: Usually. It starts with the, let's say, the home country of the product. Like uh, if it's successful in one given country, like Fairlife in the US is pretty successful. You mentioned the $1 billion that the brand has potential because if it's becoming so large in one country, uh, you start to think, okay, what about uh, expand that to another country? And then you start to explore. It all comes to the consumers, like uh, the attractiveness that that proposition can have with the local consumers. And if the category where the brand is playing, has some level of attractiveness with the country also, because depending on the country there, your plant-based beverage will have a different levels of attractiveness. And of course you have to connect that with the business, like the investment needed to expand the brand, if it makes sense, etc. So in the case of Fair Life, the brand is already in Canada. We just launched in, in China. So it shows the brand has good level of attractiveness in those three countries. We have some other brands like in the plant-based side, we have a brand that's not present in US, but it has a large presence in Latin America and Europe and parts of Asia, which is ADES. The name of the brand is a plant-based beverage. And the same started in Argentina. Then we saw the opportunity to, to expand was kind of a, at the time was to Brazil, Mexico, some other countries in Latin America. At certain point move it to Europe, it reaches China in one certain model. So that's if, if I have to summarize in two points, starts with the local, it's a winning proposition in the country where the brand was launched. Once you vetted that, you can go to the second stage, which is try to understand which countries. The combination of consumer attractiveness and business feasibility, they get together in a very nice way. And then decision, not decision, but the path to expansion is paved. You can follow that.
0: Interesting. In the case of Argentina, you decide to launch that brand there. How do you decide Argentina? Was that the local people saying we need something in this category or this segment would do well with this population? Like, how do you decide where to start?
1: Oh, actually that specific case was the founder of the brand, like many years ago. He, he was from there and he started there analyzing the local needs, etc. So another very important thing about the Portfolio Elite, some of the brands we have like Fair Life, for instance, were a result of acquisitions or joint ventures or kind of strategic partnerships we had with this brand. That was a one way we saw to kind of build the portfolio. So this brand I mentioned from Latin America and Europe on plant-based was uh, an acquisition. So the original founders, like uh, they start in Argentina, then they start to expand across Latin America. But the equation that I mentioned is the same, like uh, if you are in that market, usually the, the reason why you start in a, in a given market, Argentina, whatever market, it goes back to my second point, like the consumer attractiveness, you see the opportunity to create like a meaningful business to serve people in that specific benefit and need in a given mm-hmm. category. And also it connects with somehow with becoming like a, a viable business for, for you to invest. So. Right. That's kind of the the combo you see in, in all the new brands we have launched in the recent years.
0: Yeah, so I'm sure your whole acquisition team is evaluating all of that, the reputation of different brands in the local countries and, and municipalities where they're popular and seeing if that's a good fit for the Coca-Cola portfolio or fits within a certain segment. And, and then you go from there and that, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for clarifying that for me. Uh, You talked about people doing searching, you know, maybe online for something that's going to fit. You're trying to work on having the right words that where your product will be the answer to what they're searching for. You know, is the digital revolution that's going on right now playing a part in how you're approaching marketing and what's going on out there?
1: Uh, we do a lot of research like all of us like uh, we do research we, we you, you hear about a new ingredient or a new brand or whatever the chances are you kind of a type that and do like some search and some kind of a check the comments or whatever so that's very important for the so for the pre-purchase moment and how you, you influence and you kind of help people to make good decisions about whatever they are consuming that's a very important piece and they are online if it's a delivery or pick up from a, a brick and mortar store, or if it's a totally online situation that they they will be delivered at home. So that's another very specific kind of a new area we need to explore a moment of the decision for a purchase a product. How can we present the offers? How can we make sure that wh- whenever decision people are making, they're making highly informed, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> they know what, what what are the options? Because uh, sometimes when you go in the online purchase path, uh, you don't see all the options. People. Lead you to a specific option that's being highly promoted, etc. So that that's not the best. So you need to show people the offers. You need to make sure that you have the high, the, the right tools to present them uh, everything that's in place for, to serve them in that specific need they have.
0: Exactly, and we're assuming that everybody, like obviously you and I, are fall in the category. We do a little research. We care about, you know, what the ingredients are. But then there's the other behavior styles that walk into the store that bottle looks really good, I'm gonna take that one. So there's the other side of that.
1: Exactly, that's the, some of the interesting things we need to learn how to recreate that waha moment that you have sometimes when you're with your shopping cart in the store and you see like that nice label or this nice promotional area. And then you just grab for to try because you get fascinated by the color or by the name or, or by some claim. Yeah, that, that's another thing that you need to make sure you recreate in the online digital space so people can have these moments of surprise of seeing something that grab their attention with the only difference is that when you go for the online space etc, you have more chances to understand what will please people, what you create like this waha moment like uh, sometimes when you go for the real world like in a retail, like a regular, uh, sh- uh, shopping space, you, it's a little bit random, right? You, of course you have like some information about where to position your product. What's the best area, which are the best environment to be surrounded when you are placing your new launch or to recreate this effect of, wow, this sounds good for me in the online uh, space. You have like, uh, more tools, let's say to make this happen.
0: Yeah. Online. I mean, we can track where people go on the website, how, if they're spending more time in certain places and you can gather more data about how they're shopping. Whereas that store experience, like you said, unless you're sitting there kind of watching, not, not as much as sure. You you can make some decisions based on what you think is happening, but not, not as sure. While we're talking about kind of internet and digital things, decline answering if you want, but j- just thinking about what's happening with online and, you know, the web three coming with, with decentralizing, you know, we're, we're pretty centralized right now. Is that impacting what you're doing, or or some of the metaverse discussions, or you know, are you into any of that at all with decision making?
1: Actually, in, in my categories now, and uh, in, in my role, we are more like in the development of the category, the brands, the strategy, etc. Of course, this whole conversation, this whole momentum now of the new way of doing things in the digital space. Uh, it's happening as a, in, in a company, in the enterprise. Like I see like a, just like a few days ago, the Coca-Cola team just launched a new product that fully embraces this new way of uh, launching products, inviting the audience to participate and to create like a, a, a dialogue in the digital space with them. It's a Coca-Cola Starlight that was recently launched. So uh, of course, this is part of the uh, our teams in the digital experience and the user experience. They are bringing those solutions to us in my position i'm more focused on the on the growing the brand the strategies etc but of course uh, we need to fully embrace that because people are now moving to a different way of even to think about like a, what they want from specific brands like in terms of products etc people want to participate they want to get like uh invited to discover stuff like not only to kind of having everything ready and and, and maybe uh, having some room for people to debate about your brand about your flavors about your ingredients so that's kind of uh something that we really need to to do more often. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. We know that more change to come and pretty sure that the way we do and no marketing as it is today will change dramatically in the next uh, three to five years.
0: Which is very exciting, right? And job security for you, so that's good. <laughs> you will always have a job because it's always gonna be changing. Uh, but speaking of changing, you know, the past couple of years have been very different for your industry and I imagine your product lines because of the pandemic and some of the challenges that are going on there. How have you had to change the way you're working or the way you're thinking about marketing things Based on, you know, what's going on with the global pandemic, how has that affected your business?
1: Yeah, in the case of uh, Darren Plant, it was interesting because most of those products they are kind of uh, for household consumption. People kind of uh, purchase and they take it home and they have like a the breakfast or in snacking moments at home. So that was a kind of uh, when, when people start to move to consume or stay more at home. That was a positive impact for dairy and plant-based beverage. The industry, in general, uh, was positively impacted by this, uh, and, and, and that created some momentum. Uh, and but also in terms of how people. Saw the needs on nutrition and taking care of their immunity, of their body, of the health, etc. It also helped because they start to pay more attention to that part of the beverages portfolio. Like, okay, I need like a more plant based, more dairy products because they're supposed to help me with like uh, many different angles in terms of nutrition, hence in health. So yes. that was kind of one thing. And in the ways of working, um, as I mentioned, like uh, for for instance, the the thing about that, we need to connect with the markets and have like uh, the local workshops and connect live and talk to the customers, to the people in different countries, that changed dramatically because we're not able to travel and I was not able to go anywhere. Uh, And then we discovered something that was funny because it was available before the pandemic, but then we discovered like an amazing solution, the power of having like, a more people connecting at the same time to discuss the same the different topics like uh leveraging the whatever technology to video conferencing and to get together and to discuss more um and about certain challenges we have in the business so that that was like a very positive uh outcome of uh, everything like now we know that we are much closer like uh, it's funny because before the pandemic where we have this mindset that okay if the person is sitting in asia uh, I, of course, I can have meetings, etc. But when it comes to have a workshop, a work session, perhaps I have to go there and have that like live. No, you can like organize something. And, and also in terms of boundaries between geographies, it opens our eyes about, okay, if I have an issue that I need to resolve in Latin America, uh, and that issue is similar to what like uh, we have experienced perhaps in Europe, like we can put the teams together, organized in a proper way in the video conference tool, and then you can have like a, the collective genius really working for us. Like we, we, we talked about this in the beginning of the conversation about one of the biggest, big, big assets we have in the Coca-Cola system is the amount of people working in different countries and different realities. So I, I think that the one positive outcome uh, of the, the this whole change was this, like uh, it opened our eyes that we are really, we are really a one big team across the world, like should leverage each other uh, as much as, as possible to, to resolve our different problems.
0: Wow, and what a revelation. Just the ability to really, in in a tangible way, share best practices worldwide to come together. And, and also problems aren't just in one place. You know, if you have this problem here, chances are it's happening somewhere else in the world as well ha- and, and bringing those people together. I think about that old Coca-Cola commercial, We Are The World, do you remember? Uh, talking about that—that that reminds me of that. Like everybody really can come together to to solve some issues and talk about things. Uh, that's that. Thanks for that because that's a really cool revelation. That's a positive. And I know you have a very positive attitude based on some of the posts I've seen on social media, the good look at things. What's the good thing that we can take away? And that's a, that's a a really good thing that you just brought out. Another thing that our audience might be interested in, I know Coca-Cola is very active in is the whole sustainability action. Uh, Can you talk about that to that a little bit from your efforts?
1: Yeah, uh, actually it's, kind of the core of the dairy and plant sustainability and because it's kind of our products are coming from farm to bottle, like the way we describe. So there are many topics that are important. I would highlight, I would say like the sustainability of the ingredients, sustainable ingredients, sustainable farming, It's a very important for us especially in plant-based when you have when you have to deal with different ingredients around the world so that's a very important topic and we're trying as much as possible not only to leverage our system to reach like the gold standards uh, in sustainable agriculture and water usage uh, but also how can we bring that to become part of our dialogue with consumers like that to really invite people to not only see and be pleased that we are following the gold standards in terms of sustainable agriculture but even to see how can we invite people to the journey like uh, to the dialogue so that's something that we do in case of dairy there's a lot of effort in animal welfare to have better guidance so we can understand how we do that that kind of dairy farming practices in the best way possible so sustainability definitely it's part of the core of our brands. When you double click all all the brands in our portfolio, Fairlife in US, uh, Santa Clara in Mexico, Ades, the plant-based brand in Latin America, some of the other brands we have around the world, we will see like a, that's core instrumental for us to not only keep the brands kind of competitive in, in the market and doing the right thing, but also to create eventually some uh, differentiation and help the industry as a whole to achieve like a new kind of uh, goals and to improve as a whole. Sustainability as something that when you do in the right way, when we do in the right way, it's not only beneficial for us and our consumers and customers, but even for the whole industry, because then you can have like, we can be like a reference. And also we can source from all the companies doing like things that would be the right one. And eventually if you're not doing, why not follow them?
0: Yeah. And I think uh, Coca-Cola is well positioned, you know, to be a market leader in that area as far as resources that are available and and how many different segments you have and the big impact that the company as a whole can have. And, and that's really great to hear that, you know, because you can elevate the industry and be able to share with with others, as well as if there's, you know, an independent business over here doing a great thing in the sustainability area, you can take advantage of that as well and be able to apply that across maybe some larger impact. Exactly, so.
1: one thing that's very important, and it's funny, you mentioned about like uh, other businesses, small business or local businesses. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to talk about this. Uh, ESG strategies is there and blend with some other companies in the forum. And, and one of the companies, like, uh, told me that like oh we are always kind of looking for the big companies etc because they provide us a very valuable framework about what to do next because you guys are doing like consumer research stakeholder research participating in the forums having access to the technology that you help us to to progress it's a great shortcut for us to kind of uh, accelerate our initiatives following your your uh, your initiative. so I think that's a great way of seeing things like uh, and I think that in, in especially in sustainability we need to Take this approach. Like you need to set the goals, do the best possible to serve the business, the consumers, the business, etc. But also to take this look that uh, whatever you are doing, perhaps is pushing the whole industry with you.
0: I see it as normally with when you're in this highly competitive industry with your product lines it's all about how can you win against the competition how can we be the first into the market and all of that but but in some areas like sustainability it's more of a cooperative effort like it's not about being the first one it's it's about everyone working together it's just a whole different attitude like you were saying we, we wanna to work together in that. And that's a great place for an iconic brand like the Coca-Cola Company to be, is a model to help others, help elevate other smaller companies that don't have the resources, like you said, that to put the money into the technology and the research and the trial and error, let's face it, everything doesn't work <laughs> the first time. Exactly, exactly. So you have to figure that out. Uh, well, what about, I know there's uh supply chain issues happening right now, uh, how has that impacted how you go to market and 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 how you're handling things on the front end?
1: Yeah, that, that's a big impact, uh, especially in, in reach the last milestone and serve the customers and. Place the products in the shelf and deliver. As you know, like for all the industries, there's a same shortage of uh, labor and sometimes in the in the, in the raw materials, etc. We have the procurement team and the kind of operations team like uh, focus on that, like at uh, 24/7, trying to resolve and see, making the right decisions and try to do like the what I think is the hardest task in the world, try to foresee, forecast like uh, the next two three months in terms of a uh, supply chain, materials, etc. So far. So good. We see the business growing. We we manage to serve like uh, customers, consumers, etc. at a good level. Uh, of course, there's some misses uh, that we need to live with that because decisions need to be taken and you need to kind of make choices across the portfolio. But uh, I would say that like uh, it's challenging, but we see way that uh, that things will improve in the near future. Uh, but like I said, like uh, was in the in the very beginning, was a nightmare. Then we start to figure out. And I think that everything in life, like we start to live in the reality and they start to adjust and adapt and, 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 and tackle those, those challenges. I, the, only, the only thing that perhaps it's kind of uh, something that we need to consider now that we know how, how, how is to live with that reality is like, a, how can we think differently about innovation, introducing new products, etc are already factoring that those challenges in supply chain can happen because we never now now it's a very uncertain future compared to three years ago
0: yeah maybe you have to think differently about having contingency plans depending on you know what product lines you're talking about
1: more scenario planning i would say like now we, we do like a more scenario planning like we need to forecast more different scenarios instead of a two or three now we need to lay out more
0: because now you've been exposed to things that you couldn't have even thought about that were happening with the whole globe being shut down and your commercial business you know restaurants and all of that you know that went away for a while but the consumer brands went up so as you're trying to figure out about manufacturing and future planning that's that isn't that is a nightmare for a large company and and even for a small company
1: i think for every single company now it's just struggling with that because it, it's it's a chain effect right it started with like a, the lack of materials or lack of infrastructure to distribute something which leads to shortage which leads to kind of a price increase so it's a very challenging situation when you're planning to kind of keep business continuity and even challenger more challenging when you think about introduce innovation continue to of course you need to People are, although we have the, all the supply chain challenges, people are still looking for new news and demanding new solutions, new products, new packaging, whatever, new ways of commercializing products. And you need to keep serving people, So, then, but at the same time, you have all those challenges to factor. So that's my point about you need to really now adjust and see how can we continue to keep pace of innovation and serving people. But. Be ready to deal with uh, situations, new scenarios,
0: and and we consumers are relentless, aren't we, Adriano? <laughs> we we're demanding. We want we, we want what be. we want in the way that we want it, and we want it right now.
1: Yeah, we always want more. Like uh, and and you it should. That's funny because we, we we talk like oh, as a marketing person planning. For a category and try to develop something, but we are consumers. I'm I'm demanding my products like in other categories in fashion in whatever gadgets. progress to be better to perform better to have a different price point so we we never stop and 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 now especially with the access to information that we have like uh it's easy it's easy to see like something that was recently released in one store or one city one country whatever you see everything and then you start to okay i need that i need i need need to improve like but this thing that i have today is not working anymore i need to move to that and then you start to demand that and sometimes it is not easy to get access to the products because of the the things we mentioned about supply chain and infrastructure etc
0: yeah before all the digital access we were much more content for much longer weren't we exactly much more well as we finish out our podcast Adriana is there anything that you want to share with our audience that we haven't already talked about Today. I think
1: j- just one thing that my experience on, on dairy and plant, new categories and new businesses and especially those categories that are the playing the boundaries between beverage and food, because uh, people can say that dairy is not a beverage, it's a food or plant-based. So I, I think one thing to share is that it's, it's interesting when, when you start to deal with the beverages that have this functionality around nutrition, well-being, etc. To really reflect about our role uh, in serving people's needs and serving kind of address developing the products at the great taste, at the great price point, at, at the right availability. So I, I think that's uh, uh, something that I learned in the last six years. That's uh, pretty fascinating. Like uh, to think about um, the role you have when you marketing a uh, dairy plant-based beverages with your your consumers and and, and all the good things you can help them to achieve by serving them with the right products. So I think that's uh, something that's pretty amazing uh, to be in this categories that are uh, be in between beverages and food.
0: Yeah, well, it's clear that you really take uh, great pains to be able to answer the consumers desires and needs and figure out what they want. And I know that the Coca-Cola company really appreciates you. That's why you're in the position you're in. And we are very thankful that you came to share some of your wisdom, insights as an industry expert with the Future Foodcast listening audience. Thanks for being with us today, Adriana. Thank
1: you, Ben. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by farm to plate the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry.